Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves are champions. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I am Grant McCauley. These are the Kia Studios. And it is a Saturday night as the Braves make their way through the final leg of a two-city road trip that started out quite memorable. Man, that would have been quite as much fun down in Miami. But the hard work, the heavy lifting, the thing that the Braves have been looking forward to all season long, they got that deal done by taking three out of four against the Philadelphia Phillies, clinching the National League East for the sixth consecutive year and fulfilling the first leg of what they hope will be a long journey through October. It always runs through the division for the Braves. It's something they set out to do each and every spring as the springboard for what they want to accomplish come October. we got a lot to talk about on this edition of the show, so we're going to jump into it. But as always, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. You can find it if you are interested in the social media thing, which I am from time to time, and I get a lot of interesting responses when the Braves win a series. I get even more interesting responses when they lose a series. That may or may not be happening this weekend, but be that as it may, on most social platforms, you can find me at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end on Twitter slash X and uh, at From the Diamond on Instagram as well. You can find it there. And if you need any links for any of the things, the social, the Facebook page, all of that, FromTheDiamond.com is a place to find all of it. So uh, what is going on for the Atlanta Braves? It's something very different than a year ago when this club spent its time and energy and resources trying to run down the New York Mets and win the National League East. And I think that, accompanied by losing a couple of very important starting pitchers heading into their postseason run a year ago, kind of spelled doom and disaster for the Atlanta Braves uh, back in 2022. But here a year later, Atlanta finds itself as the first club across Major League Baseball to clinch its division. And that comes via having the best record in Major League Baseball, which the Braves still have a pretty sizable lead over the Baltimore Orioles for that, a more sizable lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we know that's important because home field advantage in the postseason is tied into that. So the Braves still have something to play for over the final couple of weeks. But I think that this opportunity to rest some guys, to recharge perhaps on the pitching staff side, to not have to run everybody all out and and basically run them ragged, all the way down to the end, trying to win every possible game that you can, uh, the way that they had to a year ago just to win the division and get the bye that they very much needed, by the way. But that's yesterday's news. This club, I I think, can take the opportunity to assess a few things down the stretch, to allow a few guys to have a well-deserved day here or there as they need it. Some of them may want to take it. Some of them may not want to take it quite as much. But this is something that the Braves have the option of doing And unfortunately, you know, like every single club, you're going to have to manage the aches and pains, the little injuries that might crop up, but you've got time. You've got a little bit of a cushion to give guys a little bit more time to heal. I think we're seeing that this weekend. Unfortunately, Ronald Acuna Jr. is the example of that, but he didn't seem overly concerned with the the calf issue that he's dealing with. He called it a cramp to reporters after the game. The Braves referred to it as calf tightness. 
I t- said at that time, I said after hearing Ronald Acuna Jr. talk about it, and I will say it until he's back in the lineup, which I don't expect to be too long from now, but the Braves weren't going to take any chances here with Ronald Acuna Jr. on basically the eve of going into the playoffs and accomplishing the big games. And I'm sure Ronald Acuna Jr., as much as he would love to play 162 games, I mean, I asked him about this at the last homestand. How much does that mean to him being out there every day, particularly thinking about an injury that he had two years ago that took him off the field, took him out of the Braves' postseason run, he did not get to play in the World Series. And then in 2022, it, it was kind of a, a, a shadow year for him or an outlier year. I don't really know what you'd call it. But it didn't look like Ron Lacuna Jr. It didn't feel like the Ron Lacuna Jr. that we used to know. And I'm quite certain that his knee didn't feel the way that he wanted it to a year ago. But that has all changed drastically this year. And that might be underselling what Ron Lacuna Jr. is accomplishing because it's been a historic season for him, an MVP caliber season. And, oh, yeah, we'll get to the MVP debate as, as I get along here. But giving him that opportunity to maybe take a couple of days, I don't think it's a bad thing. As much as he wants to be out there every single day and play the full 162, that's not the number one goal. Brian Snitker said it after the Braves clinched the division and said, look, I told Ronald Acuna Jr., we want to get you playing in the World Series. Paraphrasing, but you're playing in the World Series this year, kid, so go ahead and get ready for that. And that, of course, is the Braves' goal. Now they're going to have to win the games to get them there. The champagne celebration that they had in Philadelphia – That's the first of four that they want to have this year before their season is over. But Ronald Acuna Jr. uh, continuing to put up some of those big numbers, of course. And when you talk about big numbers, you got to talk about Matt Olson these days. What he did on Saturday down in Miami was break the Braves' single-season home run record, his 52nd of the year. He's got two weeks to add on to this thing. He's leading Major League Baseball with his 52 home runs. And I ran through some of these stats in an article I wrote for the uh, Marietta Daily Journal this past week. I mean, Olsen over the last 81 games has been absolutely incredible. I mean, it's about a half season's worth of work. He'd kind of slumped into late May and going into June, really didn't look like the guy that had gotten, gotten off to a hot start and was swatting everything in spring training, but spring training is not always the most reliable barometer. Be that as it may, I would say that the barometer that Matt Olson has been uh, utilizing over the past nearly three months now has been one in which it has illustrated that his play is just a cut above. 52 home runs now for Olsen. That's a Braves franchise record. Um, He is one of just, what, 16 men in National League history to have a 50-home run season. I think we all know what was going on in the late 90s, early 2000s, where a lot of those 50-homer seasons cropped up. But Matt Olsen this year gets to put himself in a pretty elite club. He's on pace right now for 56 home runs. That's an interesting number because that was the old National League record. It stood all the way until 1998 when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa came along. But that 1934 record, I believe it was, for Hack Wilson with the Chicago Cubs, way back into the mid-1930s anyway, was 56 home runs. That's what Olsen's on pace for this year. He's also on pace for 142 runs batted in. That would be a modern Braves record. It's just three shy of the Braves record of any era. Pre-1900 is not considered the modern era. But for Matt Olsen, doesn't matter what era it is, this guy, his slugging exploits are writing his name in the history book. And He just continues to do it. And the Braves, of course, are very happy to see him doing that because he is just one of many sluggers driving the best offense in baseball, the best Braves offense that we've ever seen, and one that I think is more than just, you know, when you have a good lineup, the the way the Braves did a year ago, I felt like they had a good lineup, a dangerous lineup. But you had one that was more prone to strikeouts, that would kind of go into long lulls and not really be able to put runs on the board. That ain't the 2023 Braves. 
I mean, they're not going to outscore everybody every single game. I got news for you. They lost a couple games to Miami over the weekend. They're going to lose some more games before the season's over. It's just going to happen. It's part of the deal. When you play every single day, you're going to lose a few games. It's not a need to hit the panic button every time, particularly when you've just won your division. But if you can get these guys healthy and you were able to just go out and keep them in a game the way that the Braves' top starters should be doing come October, and the Braves have an opportunity to kind of rest up and recharge their bullpen heading towards October and make some interesting roster choices, I think, for exactly who's going to be in that bullpen. We'll talk about that later in the show. This could be the formula for a very special year for what is the best offense, again, that we have ever seen in Braves franchise history. So Matt Olson on pace for, again, 56 homers, 142 runs batted in. That's absolutely absurd. He's going to get himself some MVP votes. But when we talk about the MVP, and we do it every week, we do it every day, let's be honest, in terms of the call-ins I do, the social media interactions, all those things. I mean, everybody's talking about this MVP race. Ron Lacuna Jr. has been, I think, the leader in the clubhouse throughout the course of the season. A lot of people predicted big things from him. I'm going to talk with Anthony Castrovitz of MLB.com a little bit later in the show, and I know he was really on the Ronald Acuna Jr. hype train at the start of the year, so I'm going to ask him about this because it has gotten interesting because let me, let me do something that a lot of people maybe don't do. Let's give some credit to the other guys putting up MVP caliber numbers and go ahead and admit everybody that we're going to talk about here, and there's not a long list, but there's a list, they have a case for the MVP. Ronald Acuna Jr., has a, a strong case. I think an ironclad case based on the history that he's making, the things that he's doing, and the value he has to his team. But you could say the same things about Mookie Betts in terms of his value to the Dodgers, his defensive versatility, the things that he does for them, and the fact that, oh, by the way, he's putting up monster numbers as well. He's doing it out of the leadoff spot. It just looks different than the version that Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing. So whoever wins this MVP award, and I think that Freddie Freeman's going to get some credit for that out in Los Angeles for helping the Dodgers this year, and I think Matt Olson is going to get some MVP consideration. But for those two first basemen that seem to be inextricably linked forever, they're just going to be a little bit further down the ballot because this is, I think at this point, a two-horse race. But for Ronald Acuna Jr., who, again, if you missed it last night, did leave the game late. I believe it's the top of the eighth inning, dealing with some uh, a calf issues, some calf soreness, tightness, uh, cramp is what Ronald Acuna Jr. described it as, did not play on Saturday. But... He is three home runs away from 40 home runs, which would put him in the 40-40 club and then some because he's also on pace for 70 stolen bases. He's only, what, four away from that. There's never been anything like that in the history of baseball. And this guy leads Major League Baseball with 201 hits, 135 runs scored, the 66 steals, 350 total bases, and he gets on base more than anybody in the game as well. He's at 418 with an OPS over 1,000. This is an MVP caliber season. I'm not going to get into all of Mookie Betts' stats, but let me just skip to the end where I say he has comparable and sometimes better stats in some categories, including home runs and RBI, including OPS, and included some of the weighted metrics as well. And he's an excellent defender, excellent base runner. It's going to be interesting to see how exactly you know the baseball writers choose to vote here. Because you get the history-making thing on one side, and you've just got an incredibly valuable player having a great season. And by definition... If you're valuable to a team that wins a lot of games, you're going to get some MVP votes, and that's what Mookie Betts is very likely to get. But putting all that aside, the 200-hit season for Ronald Acuna Jr. is a real rarity. He is only the fifth man since the club moved to Atlanta in 1966 to have a 200-hit season. Ender Inciarte, if you remember him, Marquise Grissom, Ralph Gar, and Felipe Alou are the only other ones. Gar did it three times, Alou did it twice. Ronald Acuna Jr. I think could reach the 200-hit club again. But he's only the 16th player in team history to do so, and that's some 
uh, team history that goes back over 150 years. So Ronald's done some pretty good things here. Now, when you talk about Ronald Acuna Jr., I think Ozzy Albee's name always comes up because these two guys, Dickie Steves, tag team champs, if you will, of the Braves clubhouse culture. These guys are incredibly important on and off the field, but on the field, Ozzy Albee's home run number 30 of the season came on Saturday. That ties his career high, and it gives the Braves five players with 30 home runs this year. The Braves have 10 players in double digits. They have nine players with 15 or more home runs. They have seven players with 20 or more home runs. They have five players with 30 or more home runs. They have one with 50, and they have two other guys in Ronald Acuna Jr. and Austin Riley that could jump into the 40 home run club. Again, it's a little bit ridiculous. It's an embarrassment of riches on the slugging side. But you want to see that wrecking crew get into October and really do some serious, serious power lifting. And we'll see what they're able to do. But this offense has set a National League home run record, surpassing the 2019 Los Angeles Dodgers. As the Braves have just continued to mash, they're on pace for 314 home runs. That would eclipse the 2019 Twins and a record of 307. And the Twins, by the way, they're the only other club in Major League history that have had five 30-homer players in the same lineup. The Braves with Ozzie Albies joining the group. Uh, Check that box on Saturday. And I know it doesn't work this way, but Sean Murphy and Travis Darno, you put them together, Braves catchers, that's another 30-home run position. And I'll get into those guys a little bit later on because it's been some tough sledding at the plate for both the Braves catchers. It's been some tough sledding for the bullpen. That's another thing that I want to talk about a little bit later on. I mean, you can have legitimate concerns without hitting the panic button. I'm just here to tell you that. You may not agree with it, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and I'll get into that a lot more later on in the show and a lot of other big Braves topics and things that there are to get into. Chris Willis of Battery Power is going to join me, take a swing at some of these Braves discussions here in just a moment, what this 2023 team has done so far, and what's left to do, because it's a pretty good list of things left to do. We're also going to take our trip around the big leagues, and i got a special guest to help me out with that. We're going to talk about these wild card races, because while the National League East may be done, the wild card is still very much in play over the final couple of weeks in both leagues. Anthony Castrovins of MLB.com will join me for that. When we get back, I'll be joined by Chris Willis of Battery Power. We'll take a deep dive into the starting rotation and, of course, uh, what the Braves are looking to do as they get themselves set for an October run. This is From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley as we continue our Braves discussion right here from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We're going to go out to the WadeFord.com hotline where I'm joined by my buddy Chris Willis of Battery Power. Well, Chris, it's been such a long time since we've gotten to sit down and have an opportunity to talk about the Atlanta Braves, but I appreciate you making some time for me as we're coming down the stretch here. The Braves are the National League East champs yet again, and it seems that um, all the things that we were looking forward to in spring training are finally starting to come into focus for the Braves and their playoff picture. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's been a crazy ride. It's a much different feeling than what we've had the last couple of seasons where they've kind of had to grind all the way to the end. You know, they've been arguably the best team in baseball, uh, I would say, for over half of the season. So, I mean, the we've got 16, what, 16 games left now to just get everything lined up the way they want it and, uh, you know, hopefully a long postseason run. That, of course, is the plan, but I, I can't help but think back to spring training expectations, Chris, for the National League East as a whole. We were expecting a three-team race. We were expecting a rematch of the 2022 race between the Braves and the Mets at the very least. 
Then the Braves went out and clinched earlier than expected because some things didn't really go right in New York, but we're not going to talk about all that. But uh, how do you think that this impacts the Braves going forward when it comes to planning? Because once you clinch the division, I know the best record's still out there, but when you think about the opportunity to rest some guys, to recharge in general, to reset some things for October, this seems like the place you want to be if you're the Braves rather than going down to the wire to win the division. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I mean, you can say a lot of things about last year, but, you know, they had to grind all the way to the end uh, just to get that uh, division title and get that extra rest. You know, this time around, they're going to be able to just kind of line things up, I think, the way they want. I'm really interested to see how they do rest guys in Ronald Acuna and Matt Olson that haven't missed a game. They started every game. Uh, obviously, Acuna's in a pretty tightly contested MVP chase mm-hmm. right now, so I'm sure he's going to want to keep playing. You know, it's a careful line between rest and rushed. So, you know, it's going to be so interesting to see how they navigate that. But, you know, with the pitching staff, I just expect them to continue to try to give guys extra days when they can and just to, you know, kind of get everything lined up uh, for the division series. Yeah, and I think that's nothing but beneficial for this club. And there's something to be said for, you know, having to play a high degree of baseball during the regular season that maybe gets you ready for the postseason. But I don't know. I mean, I've watched the Braves a long time. You have as well. And I can't help but think about some of the guys I talked about from the uh, talk to the 1993 team about that race when they had to overtake the Giants. They got to the postseason, and then it just seemed like they ran out of gas against the Phillies. I can't help but think about the '93 and the and the 2022 teams really running into that same thing, where it was just so much work to get there, and then you've got to face one of the best teams in baseball or several of the best teams in baseball, as the case is uh, with the playoffs these years. But uh, thinking about some of those '90s teams, Chris. I do feel like we may be watching the best Braves team ever. I don't know if everybody wants to allow themselves to think that and to feel that. And I know each of these division titles has kind of had its own storylines and each team has its own personality. But for me, it's hard not to watch. And you and I both have spent some time around this club this year and to not come away with the loftiest of expectations for this group. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to uh, compare teams between eras and whatnot. But I mean, this 2023 club, I mean, if they're not the best, they're certainly among the best. I've never seen a lineup uh, this deep. I've never seen a team with this much power. I guess if you wanted to really, uh, you know, if you wanted to nitpick, you go back to those 90s teams and the pitching staff was probably a little deeper uh, all the way around. But this bullpen, you know, I think this bullpen it can be really good too. So, uh, you know, it's just been it's just been fascinating to watch all season long. And, you know, you just expected them to cool off and slow down, and they haven't done that. And, I mean, it's just the the numbers they put up are historic. I mean, outside of a little bit of a lull coming out of the All-Star break, it's really hard to look at a, a long period of baseball for the Braves this year where they haven't been able to bounce back to immediately start winning series again, to go off and do things that defy the mind in terms of what Ron Lacuna is doing. And, hey, hey, even Matt Olson, I mean, We'll talk a lot about Ron Lacuna Jr. and justifiably so, but most years, what Matt Olson's doing would probably be some good conversation for MVP debate in the National League, and he's going to get some votes, by the way. Uh, chatting with Chris Willis of Battery Power here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He joins me on the waitfor.com hotline, as always. You know, Chris, a lot of times we could spend our whole conversation talking about the Braves' offense, but I want to talk about this pitching staff and particularly one performance I saw in the Phillies series that gave me, I guess, a lot of hope about what the postseason rotation is going to look like because I thought that Spencer Strider turned in what was a really important performance against the Phillies last time out. He had a long first inning, 36 pitches. He was able to limit them to just one run, settled down, fired seven strong frames. 
I think, Chris, that Spencer Strider is a pitcher who is just built for October. When you look at him, the stuff he possesses, the ability to dominate a lineup, he wasn't healthy last time out, but just how big of an impact do you think that Spencer Strider can make on Atlanta's October rotational plans this time around? Oh, I think it's going to be huge, and uh, you know, and I think it's really important to get him there healthy. Uh, because, you know, I mean, honestly, last year, if you look back to it, I mean, if you have a healthy Spencer Strider and a healthy Max Freed, I feel like that ser- Philly series looks a lot different. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Strider's been huge. And that start uh, in Philadelphia the other day was huge, too, because the bullpen was gassed. And he threw 36 pitches in the first inning and then settled in and gave him seven. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't expect there was any way he was going to get through the fifth, you know, when yeah. that game started, much less seven innings. So, uh, you know, I just think he's – he's. I don't want to call him the X factor because, you know, everybody on his pitching staff is kind of important. Uh, but, I mean, he's that guy that could be that John Smoltz, uh, you know, if you want to talk back to the, the older older days. He could be that type of, of pitcher and uh, in, in the postseason, I think. And, again, it just feels like he's built for that. I had a chance to chat with John Smoltz, had him here on the show a couple of weeks ago when he was in town, and I asked him about Spencer Strider because – how can you not? And and John Smoltz had some really interesting, and I know he's been on the Valley Sports broadcast recently as well, and talked about some of the things for Strider that once this gets in place, or once he clears this hurdle, or once he realizes X, Y, and Z, and you know, some folks may not love to hear that, but when I get a chance to hear somebody who pitched at the highest level and succeeded at the highest level, and is one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time, tell me what could make another guy potentially you know, just vault himself into that stratosphere. I'm going to go ahead and pull up a chair and listen. And I have thought that the discussions that has been had uh, about Spencer Strider from John Smoltz have been very interesting here lately. And when you look at this rotation and you brought up, maybe we don't want to compare and contrast the eras, but Max Fried feels like a guy that can really generate a lot of the gravitas that Tom Glavin had for the Braves throughout the course of the 90s and throwing some big games in October. He's already done it in his young career and Max Fried, Chris, has looked a lot more like Max Fried here lately since coming back from that three-month layoff. That's nothing but a good thing for this club, obviously, considering that Fried has thrown some big games and has the ability to really mix things up with his arsenal. I feel like the Braves throw some distinctly different styles at a lineup from that rotation. When you think about Fried to Strider to Morton to Bryce Elder, you're not seeing the same kind of pitcher from the Atlanta Braves each and every day, and I feel like that kind of speaks to some of the success that they could have come October. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the depth of the rotation there is key. You know, a lot of teams are going to have a hard time matching Max Fried, Spencer Strider at the top. And, I mean, I agree with you. And I look at Max Fried, I see a big game pitcher. I mean, you saw it in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, you saw it You saw it against the Phillies. And the good news is, you know, if there was a silver lining for his injury, there's not a ton of mileage on that arm this mm-hmm. year. You know, if he's healthy and everything, he's going to be fresh going into the postseason. Uh, so you know it's it's all real good, uh, real good things at the top of that rotation, and then and then like you mentioned, Charlie Morton and uh, Bryce Elder. I mean, you know those guys have went out, uh, give them innings uh, when they had two uh, two key guys down. So I mean, you know this rotation's rotation's deep, and uh, you know I expect it to be uh, an X factor in the postseason. Yeah, you know you and I were in the Braves clubhouse what a couple of weeks ago when the club was at home, and we pointed down that line, or I did, of you know you've got all these guys are lined up with one another, locker to locker, Charlie Morton to Max Reed to Spencer Strider to Bryce Elder and Kyle Wright, they're all there. 
I look at that, and I think a lot of playoff clubs would love to be able to put these arms out there in a five- or seven-game series for both the talent factor, the difference of styles, and, of course, as you mentioned, the depth, which when it comes to a pitching staff and it comes to October and those decisions that you need to make about how you're going to deploy all these guys, there are a lot of clubs that would like to be in this position, and I know there are a lot of clubs that would love to have the Braves' offense, but I feel like that kind of overshadows this pitching staff in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, you know the offense obviously has gotten all the all of the um, headlines this year. But you know when you look at the uh, you look at the rotation, the rotation's been solid. And I mean when you consider the job that they did with Max Fried down for as long as he was, Kyle Wright out as long as he did, he was you know it never really became a problem. You know outside of maybe a, a week or ten days coming out of the All Star break, the rotation was never that big of an issue. And that's credit to Charlie Morton. That's credit to Bryce Elder. That's credit to all those guys that, uh, you know, they rotated through that fifth spot. Yeah, they had to figure out ways to make it work. And over the course of 162, you kind of have to do that. But when it comes to the postseason, all of a sudden you're pitching decisions and your roster building and, and who gets you know, what job and what innings, it all becomes a little bit different. But one of the guys that I just mentioned and that we've talked about that wasn't available for the Braves for a large chunk of this season, it wasn't just Max Fried. It was also Kyle Wright, the guy that won 21 games a year ago a guy that won the only postseason game for the Braves in the NLDS against the Phillies. He is back. I think it was kind of out of necessity against Philadelphia. I know that there is probably a few more steps and boxes to check for him to feel like he is all the way back and able to do the things that he was doing prior to missing the four months with the shoulder inflammation. But I think it brings up an interesting question, Chris, because Kyle has obviously had success as a starter the past you know year, and particularly in 2022, his breakout season. But he's also thrown some really big innings for the Braves in the World Series of all places in 2021, which kind of makes me wonder, what role do you think fits Kyle Wright best at this point, considering we just talked about a very good group of starting pitchers, to have a Kyle Wright who could come in and maybe be a factor out of your bullpen for multiple innings, that is a pretty nice thing for the Atlanta Braves if this final two weeks plays out the way they want it to for themselves and, of course, for Kyle. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting option for them to have. I mean, uh, it's going. I'm, I'm interested to see how Kyle pitches down the stretch. You and I were both at Rome uh, the night he made his first rehab assignment, and I think one of the things that really jumped out to me was just how free and easy he looked. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, throwing the baseball again. Uh, you know, obviously the shoulder is going to be a question as he builds up, but you know, if he's healthy, uh, I feel like he can be and have an impact on this division series roster. Uh, probably out of the bullpen because I don't think you're going to need more than three starters for the for the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, that's a good weapon to have. If you've got Bryce Elder and, and potentially a Kyle Wright coming out of your bullpen, um, you know, just to log two or three innings or if a starter needs to exit early, you know, it's just a lot of flexibility. And, and you're right about right. I mean, we, we always think back to the World Series, but if you remember, uh, you know, he pitched well in the Division Series last year, and they didn't have a lot of guys do that. So, you know, he's he's got that playoff experience. I think all that stuff is part of the factors or, or one of the factors that you're going to put in or the many factors that you go through to make a decision on who could fill a role and who exactly do you feel like is built for those particular moments or maybe just those particular matchups just to not think you know too far and too hard about each one of these. But that's what we do here on the show. It's from the Diamond with Grant McCauley. I'm joined by Chris Willis of Battery Power here on the WadeFord.com hotline as we wrap up our discussion about the Atlanta Braves and particularly this pitching staff. You and I have talked a lot about the Braves' bullpen this year. It's always a topic du jour on social media, both when they do well and, of course, when they do poorly. But I would say that this group is just what the numbers say that it is, and that's one of the best bullpens in baseball. 
None of these guys are going to come out and throw zeros up there all the time. They may not miss as many bats as some other groups, though, but this is a group of pitchers that can mix and match and can do a lot of different things and throw a lot of different looks at you. And I think it's worth pointing that out that the postseason, as we've seen, Chris, it's managed very differently than the regular season. And we saw that time and again in 2021 when the bullpen helped Atlanta win that World Series. And Brian Snitker said as much. I mean, we're not managing the 162 the way we will the postseason. I think that is probably nothing but a good thing for the Braves as well because they've got some arms that can get some important outs, even if they take their lumps from time to time. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they've dealt with injury down there too. Uh, but we've seen a lot of guys kind of step up in of late. I thought Brad Hand in particular threw uh, some great innings in that series in Philadelphia. I mean, that was kind of unexpected, but it, with Dylan Lee looking like he's out for the uh, – going to miss the remainder of the season, you know, Brad Hand becomes increasingly important down there. And, I mean, you said it. I mean, the bullpen, bullpen uh, you know, it's not always – it's not always lights out, but they've done the job more often than not this season. And there's a lot of veterans down there. And, you know, I mean, I think they're deep enough that we're going to see them, you know, early and often in the postseason. And goodness knows when you got the kind of offense that the Braves do, you're able to just keep a game close and you've got a chance to win. And in October, I think as we've seen, it kind of gets magnified that every time you get a couple of base runners on, you have yourself what amounts to a rally. And the Braves have been able to get quite a few base runners on Pretty much uh, every time, or pretty much every game this season, they've been able to swing the bats pretty well, and that probably bodes well for October as well. It's a bit of a trend, I would say, the Braves and their offense. But Chris, I enjoy chatting with you about the Braves pitching staff, which of course is going to be a big part of their October success. They've got an opportunity to, again, rest, recharge, reset, and do a few things prior to their layoff between the division series and the end of the regular season. It's going to be fascinating to see how all of that plays out over the next couple of weeks. Chris, I appreciate your time as always. and look forward to chatting with you again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a lot of fun. Always great to talk to Chris Willis. When we come back, we'll talk to another buddy of mine, Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com. will join me to talk about these crazy wild card races, what to expect down the stretch, and a few other things. It's From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios here on a Saturday afternoon. And we're taking our trip around the big league, so I'm thrilled to welcome in my next guest. He is Anthony Castrovins of MLB.com. Well, Anthony, I appreciate you making some time for me. As it does every year, the baseball season comes down to the end with no shortage of stories. We've got some wild card races. We've got an MVP debate. And unfortunately, we've got some untimely injuries. Not that there's really ever a good time for injuries. Appreciate you making some time. Absolutely, Grant. Uh, and what a time it is. It's uh, it's it's interesting because we don't have, you know, a lot of uh, races to be settled. There's obviously the, the wild card uh, pursuits are in check, but uh, I think you're pretty well set down there in Atlanta. It seems like the Braves are, are in pretty good shape, um, but there's still always drama. You just mentioned the MVP debate is a big one. And uh, so it's just always a fun time of year. Yeah, it always is. And yeah, here in Atlanta, things have gone fairly well for the Atlanta Braves this year. It's been very consistent outside of a little bit of a lull after the All-Star break. I feel like the Braves have definitely handled their business. They became the first team to clinch their playoff spot, punch that ticket as far as division winners are concerned. But you brought up the wild card, and that's something that I do think is very much wide open in both of these leagues. And I wanted to start in the NL because this picture continues to shuffle, and it's done it a lot in the second half. We know the Phillies own that top spot. The Cubs, though... They proved everyone wrong, including myself, that thought maybe they should be doing some selling at the deadline. 
with a very strong showing the past six weeks. And it gets interesting after that because you got the Giants, the Diamondbacks, the Reds all knotted up. The Marlins a half game back as we head into the weekend. Anthony, I guess I say all that to say this race seems far from over. Very much so. And that's what I was referencing earlier because, like, you know, the divisions you got, like, you know, the Orioles and Rays are neck and neck, but they're both going to be in the playoffs, you know, and, and granted one will be in a better position than the other in terms of that first round buy, but there's not a lot of mystery. The setup, the format removes some of the uh, drama of the division race, but it does amplify these wildcard races and you have teams. This is kind of the way the format was drawn up so that you'd have these surprise teams that could come out of nowhere and get markets involved, that maybe didn't anticipate being involved this late in the year and being engaged. That's certainly uh, prominent in the NL this year because Diamondbacks, Reds, Marlins, not many people had these clubs on their dance card, you know, for for 2023. And, yeah, the Cubs have definitely outperformed expectations even in the last just six weeks or so. I mean, they were looking like they were going to be, you know, the most uh, highly coveted seller of the trade deadline because they had Cody Bellinger and Marcus Mm -hmm. Stroman. Well, then Stroman got hurt, but the Cubs got super hot and turned themselves – you know, back into a contender and ended up being buyers instead of sellers. So it's been a really interesting year from that standpoint. And um, and I think the new rules have quite frankly played into that as well, where you have athleticism being rewarded. And in some cases, some younger clubs that weren't expected to contend are, are better than advertised. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to what the Diamondbacks were doing for a good stretch of the season, what the Reds did. I mean, when they brought up Ellie De La Cruz, that seemed to kind of take that dynamic for a young club yeah. that, as you mentioned, Nobody was really looking at all together that closely. You knew they had some good young players, but was it all going to come together this quickly? I think that for both the Reds and the Diamondbacks, uh, I think the answer was very much wait and see, but not highly expected. Uh, The Giants have had kind of an up-and-down season for themselves. The Marlins, meanwhile, they've done pretty well against the rest of baseball outside of the Atlanta Braves. Unfortunately, that kind of handicaps them in their own division, and it's also playing havoc on their wild-card chances because they have not been able to beat on Atlanta enough to make up some ground. They're going to meet again this weekend. Uh, We'll get into it a little bit later with some other big pitching injuries, but it's hard to look at the Marlins where they are right now with some of the injuries that they're dealing with, with no Sandy Alcantara being able to jump over a pile that does include the Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Giants, and of course the Cubs are right there on the heels of the Phillies for the top couple of wildcard spots. Yeah, you know, all those teams are flawed in some way. And so it's frankly just going to come down to who has a good last week of the season, I think. You know, who can avoid those pitfalls in that last week? And it could be anybody, but you're right. I mean, the Marlins have had the disadvantage of being in a difficult division setup, and I don't think anybody expected them to run third in that division uh, that looks so dynamic going into the year. But the season will always find the truth eventually. You know, it's that's not much in terms of analysis, but it's so close, and they're all – I'm not saying they're all bad, but they're all flawed. I think that's pretty obvious. And and so it really is that simple, like who has the best last week of September. And I think that's kind of the point that I knew we'd arrive at sooner or later because it's been proven exactly as it was by the Phillies a year ago and by the Braves in 2021. You get hot at the right time. You have chances. You have a chance at the very least to get yourself a spot at that table. And once that happens, who knows how October is going to play out. Does any of the wildcard teams, and that can be the Phillies, the Cubs, or any of the other clubs that we just talked about, do any of them strike you that same way that maybe the Phillies did a year ago or the Braves a couple of years ago where, hey, if we let these guys get hot, they could be a problem matchup for even some of the bigger division-winning teams, a club like the Braves with a big record. You know, we saw what happened last yeah. year. You don't have to win 100 games to go to the World Series. 
Well, I mean, the Phillies and Braves will probably meet up, and it's another handful. It's a handful just like last year because when you do have a couple aces, legit aces at the top of a rotation, that is a difference maker in these short series. The playoffs are interesting. We call it the postseason, and it really is a season unto itself. It's so different than the regular season. You can't emphasize that enough where your roster, whatever it is, over the course of the year with 26 guys, and obviously those 26 guys change a lot over the course of the year, but you get to October, and yes, you have a 26-man roster, but that roster is really honed in to its essence. The top arms in the rotation are going to give you the most innings. The top arms in your bullpen are going to be in the most high-leverage moments. And so it just plays so much differently, especially with the off days. You're able to maximize that Mm -hmm. even more. And so you're not judged as much in October by – the lesser parts of your roster as you are in a 162 game schedule. So that's why you have these, you know, surprise series all the time. And that's why the Phillies went where they went last year because their bats caught on fire and they got a lot of power bats and power can, you know, change a game in the postseason with one swing. We know that. And they had aces at the top of their rotation and their bullpen pitched well. So it was really that simple. And I don't put it past them to do that again. I think the other club that would probably fall into that umbrella a little bit is the Cubs, uh, where they play good defense, which is a real difference maker in October. You know, you got Justin Steele who can really swing a series in a short mm-hmm. series. I'm talking particularly in what they're probably headed for, which is a three-game series, a mm-hmm. uh, best of three. So, so yeah, those clubs are definitely. Uh, it's easy to say that because they're at the top of the wild card pecking order, but. But I think the Phillies in particular are just, they're a real handful in a short series. Yeah, I mean, you look up and down that roster, and the Braves just got done playing them, taking three out of four. But two of those games in that four-game series could have swung either way with one more swing of the bat. And the Phillies definitely took the Braves to their limits in that four-game set. And it's been a very intriguing season series between those two teams, particularly given the history of last October when Philadelphia took out the Braves on their way all the way to the World Series. Uh, chatting some wild card and all things MLB with Anthony Castrovince of MLB.com here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. He joins me on the waitfor.com hotline. We're going to switch now from the National League to the American League because the Orioles are the best team in the league, just as everyone predicted back in spring training. The rest of the American League East is kind of all over the place. The Tampa Bay Rays still have a shot in this division. The Yankees and Red Sox way down in the standings. Rangers and Mariners, meanwhile, out west have been making their push, and the Blue Jays are still in contention for a wild card. But I think, Anthony, if I look at all of these clubs, Seattle is the one that strikes me the same way as maybe the Cubs do, getting hot at the right time. But I feel like the expectations for Seattle were so much loftier based on what they did last year and now how hot they are right now when it matters the most. Yeah, they've been interesting trajectory there where, you know, first playoff appearance in a generation last year. And a lot of us just expected more from them this season. It kind of begins with the offseason a little bit where they had sort of a muted effort to improve their offense. Mm-hmm. Teoscar Hernandez was a big addition for them in the trade market. He really struggled for the first half of the year, but you know he really caught on in the second half. Julio Rodriguez, of course, went crazy. So they had this monumental August that pushed them back uh, to the they were in the top spot in the AL West quite recently. They haven't played as well as in September. That's a franchise, a fan base that has dealt with many September struggles over the years and, mm-hmm. and good seasons gone awry come September. So you hope that's not the case here. You know, they're kind of traumatized by that in the past. Last year, they saved their best baseball for last. And but they really pushed the Astros. I mean, it was a sweep in that series. But, you know, the games were close. And, you know, Jordan Alvarez, one swing of the bat changed the game. So yep. 
I think the Mariners are, are one of those dangerous clubs in a short series, just like I was just saying, where because of the strength and, and what they have they offer in the bullpen, I mean, they really uh, would be a tough matchup, but they got to get in there first and they, you know, it'd be nice if they could uh, get back to the top of the LOS, but it, it feels like the Astros are just, it's only a game or you know game and a half at this point, but it just feels like the Astros are still very much uh, in control, you know, despite their kind of slow start by their standards. It feels like all season we've been waiting for them to just take over the AL West as usual, and it seems to be happening right now. But um, and then the Rangers are, I mean, you get motion sickness being a Rangers fan this season. They're, they are so all over them. I mean, they go in ruts and they go in streaks. You know, it's crazy and. They were looking like they were completely playing themselves out of October. Their bullpen is abominable, but then they've caught fire here recently. But in the midst of that, they lose Max Scherzer. So I don't even know what to make of that club. But it's been a ride this season, that's for sure. Yeah, it's hard to handicap all of that from week to week and month to month. I mean, a lot of stuff has changed. And again, who gets hot at the right time, what that matchup looks like, and can a rotation get hot? And we talk a lot about bats and one swing changing the complexity of a series or a game or what have you. Well, if you've got the arms that can shut them down, that can also work as well. Now, speaking of arms, some of these teams in these races, they're getting hit with some big-name pitcher injuries. The Rays a while back lost Shane McClanahan. They found a way to continue to win at a high clip, though, and they've got a chance at the ALEs. The Marlins just lost Sandy Alcantara. Max Scherzer, though, we talked about him earlier. His season appears over in Texas, and that was a big get for them because they were already without Jacob deGrom. But it's crazy to see a lot of these big-name pitchers and guys that you would count on come October unavailable for these clubs that are trying to lock down their spot in the postseason. Yeah, it just goes to show, you know, for all we think we know about pitchers and how they're managed and all that, I mean, injury rate just continues to climb. That just comes down to what teams would prioritize, you know, spin, velocity, et cetera. And it's interesting, Grant, because I was looking this up the other day where the rotation schedule has really changed. Four days rest used to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Five days rest is becoming the new norm. But pitchers aren't throwing any more innings as a result, starting pitchers, and they're not getting hurt any less. So I don't know. As an industry, I really think it comes down to just the style of pitching and what has been accentuated which yeah. is strikeouts and velocity mm-hmm. you know because yeah these guys are going down left and right and it's nothing new i mean i know some people have been quick to blame the pitch clock but you know we've got data that shows it's really the pitch clock hasn't affected the injury rate the, the rate has been climbing for generations as the game slowed down without a clock you know so like, the game is getting slower with more injuries it, it just comes down to how hard these guys are throwing what they're doing with their arms torquing you know to make the ball do some crazy stuff. And it is a crazy list and a frustrating list to look at because there's a lot of really good names on it. Yeah, most certainly. And most of these guys are throwing harder than perhaps any other time in the game. And that is a league-wide thing. We've certainly noticed that. Uh, Anthony, I want to wrap up with this because I'd be remiss not to ask because we are down here in Atlanta where I do the show. And I think it's a worthwhile discussion. And it's been framed differently by two factions, a rivalry, if you will, between Atlanta and Los Angeles. This NL MVP race, I think, is a really good one. Ron Lacuna Jr. putting together an historic season, putting up numbers the likes of which we've never seen in combination, breaking a ton of franchise records in the process. Mookie Betts is also doing incredible things for the Dodgers. He's versatile. He's defensively adds a lot to that club in addition to having monster offensive numbers. Both of these guys deserve it, but at the end of this, it's going to come down to the last couple of weeks, I guess, before these ballots are cast, but who do you think takes this award, and have you been surprised by the heated debate between these two sides? You feel good about both of these guys as MVP. These are truly MVP caliber players. 
Mookie Betts is a future Hall of Famer. Acuna could very well be on a Hall of Fame trajectory. So whoever wins it, you know, it's not – I don't feel like we're going to look back in 20 years and go, oof, we gave the MVP to that guy, you know. <laughs> I think we're going to be all right here. But it is really fascinating. And, and I tell you what, man, I I could go on Atlanta radio and really make an impassioned defense of Acuna's case, and I can go on LA radio and do the complete opposite mm-hmm. uh, and just earn favor. Um, all I would say is I live in an American League market, so I vote American League awards, so I don't have to deal with this one this year. That's a good thing for me. But I went into the year, you know, pounding the table. Acuna is going to be the MVP this year. He has exceeded my expectations. I did not think he'd be this aggressive on the base pass. I knew what a great runner he is, but, you know, he's been super aggressive. I didn't know if he would trust his knees, you know, enough to be this guy that we're seeing. He's truly electric in every sense. The power to go with the speed is such an unusual – you know, historically rare combination. I do think some voters will dock him for the environment. You know, there's no doubt about it that his stolen bases are inflated by the rules. There's just no question. How much, I don't know, but I don't think he would be the first 30-60 guy without the new. I think the new rules have definitely helped him be that. I think that's fair to say. Mookie, the overall offensive numbers, we have the weighted metrics and stuff favor Mookie. Versatility favors Mookie. Maybe narrative favors Mookie just because what his moving around the diamond. It's not a small thing to be the greatest, arguably the greatest defensive right fielder in the game and just, okay, sure, I'll go to the middle infield this year. You need me there? Fine. And be perfectly capable there. And that's really helped them manage their roster. So there's really good arguments for him. And there's really good arguments for the history that Acuna is making. I'm not going to pick a side here. I'm just going to say that in two weeks, I guess, they'll ask me to submit a fake ballot for MLB.com and I'll have to make a tough decision there. But Give me those two weeks because I need every bit of information I can handle because it really is that close. No, it certainly has been and fun to watch Ronald Lacuna Jr. because I've seen him since his days in the minor leagues. I think the first time I saw him, he was in low A ball and you could just tell there was something special. Yeah. He's shown it throughout the course of his big league career already. 2022, I think, was an outlier year for him. And now in 2023... We're seeing things the likes of which I don't think any of us could have expected. Anthony, I appreciate all your time as always. Look forward to chatting with you again very soon. And, of course, if you're out there, make sure you are following Anthony on social. And, of course, MLB.com is where you can find all his great work. Anthony, thanks again. I appreciate it, and let's talk soon. Absolutely. Maybe maybe see you again in about six weeks down there in Atlanta. We'll see. Let's book it. I appreciate that. (laughs) When we come back, we'll take a look at what's going on for the Atlanta Braves in the week to come. And we'll do it next right here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Take a look around the league with more of our From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. From the Diamond is brought to you by Window Nation. Get two windows free with every two you buy and pay nothing for two years. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back in to From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game, as we round out a Saturday evening here from the Kia Studios. Appreciate you riding along with me, as always. Really great to have Chris Willis drop by and talk a little bit of Braves with me. Also, Anthony Castro events, as you just heard from, these NL wildcard races might be a little bit crazy down the stretch. Braves have seen the Phillies, who have the number one wildcard spot, the Marlins, who are fighting for dear life to get into that wildcard picture and stay there when the final bell rings. And then you got the Cubs, who have been a very hot team, and the Reds, who the Braves ran into over the summer, that have shown some signs as well of being a young team, uh, up-and-coming team, Diamondbacks, same thing with them. It's going to be really fascinating to see which one of those teams, and I forgot the Giants in the middle of all that too because they just haven't gone away. going to be interesting to see who grabs the three wild-card spots in the National League as we already know one division winner. We think we know another one in the Central. could be the Brewers, not West, obviously. The Dodgers have a pretty good hold on that. 
the playoff field across the National League. Still some things to be decided. Same thing for the American League, of course. So I appreciate Anthony stopping by to help us take our trip around the big leagues this week. But let's focus back on the Atlanta Braves and particularly some things going on this week and, of course, the uh, week to come as the Braves will be coming on back home to meet the Philadelphia Phillies again and then jet back out on the road. But these final two weeks of the season, I talked about this as I opened up the show. You know, this is going to give Atlanta some chances to maybe rest some key players and pitchers, utilize some guys differently from a, I know they call that for pitchers, load management, like how many innings do you require from certain guys? And sometimes the situation requires that you use certain pitchers as opposed to others. Well, when you've won your division, when you have punched that ticket to the postseason, when you have what the Braves do going down to the final couple of weeks, I mean, they're going to try to win some games, but they're also going to try to do the thing that any club in their position would want to do. Get to the postseason healthy by not running your guys into the ground over the final 14 or so games. That, I think, is a priority for the Braves. Health, obviously, is one of the biggest wild cards, no pun intended, for what could affect any team's postseason trajectory. You got Ronald Acuna Jr. dealing with a little bit of a calf issue. Let's not make it a major calf issue, so let's not try to run through a brick wall and stay in there every single game. That's why he got Saturday off. Will he be back in there on Sunday? Uh, my inclination with this, having followed the Braves for as long as I have, usually when they say, okay, are you good? Are you feeling good? Okay, let's give you another day. So we may not see him until Monday against the Philadelphia Phillies at home. That could be the case. Then again, we could wake up on Sunday morning. Ronald Cooney Jr. could be back in the lineup, and the Braves could be off to the races with their leadoff hitter and MVP candidate, you know, being the straw that stirs the drink. If you got that reference, then congratulations. But this final two weeks of the season, I do think is important for this club to not take its foot off the gas, but to give themselves an opportunity they did not have a year ago, and that is to kind of pace themselves as they go into the postseason. Now, keep in mind, for the Braves, a club that has won its division, a team that could have the best record in, in baseball, and, and by virtue of that, have home field advantage throughout the postseason, they do get that layoff period after the regular season while that wild card round goes on into the NLDS. I'm kind of wondering how they will approach that. I mean, how intense they will approach that uh, based on what we saw a year ago. I don't necessarily think it was a lack of intensity, but you heard Chris Willis from Battery Power say it earlier. There's a fine line between rest and rust, and you do not want any of that that you're having to knock off while you're busy trying to fight for your life in the postseason in a best-of-five series. And while I'm on this, and I really have never understood this, why are all of the series not best-of-sevens when you get to the post? Like, why is the division series a best-of-five? Like, what are we saving? What exactly are we accomplishing by a best-of-five? If we go through 162 games to get there, why should it ever be, you know, I mean, other than the wild card, which I hated the one-game wild card. Can't tell you how much I hated it. Don't have enough time left in the show. Could come back next week, still be talking about it. Didn't like it at all. Three games, I'll take over the one game for the wild card purposes. But once you get into the postseason, I think every round should be seven games. Maybe Major League Baseball can reach down in this big bag of changes that they've got coming for us. I'm sure that everybody's going to hate until they happen, and then we'll kind of you know, accept it as normal because it is what it is and it won't go away. But I think seven-game series are the way to go. I digress because that's not going to change anything this year. It'll be interesting to see exactly how the Braves approach the rest period that they get in between because I think most clubs, any club, would rather have that than to keep playing straight on through like a marathon because the 162 was enough of that. It's been a shaky time, though, for this bullpen in September. I, I touched on this earlier in the show as well. And this may be the one group that could benefit the most from the resting and the recharging and the resetting that you can have over this next couple of weeks and, of course, that little period right before the division series. And, you know, is there a cause for concern? I've gotten this question a lot. 
I think you're going to see the bullpen managed completely differently as you have over the course of the regular season than you will come the postseason. Once you get into the postseason, your leverage arms are going to be the guys that are getting called on a regular basis. And the reason that you can do that more so in the postseason than the regular season is the scheduled days off. You have that period before you get into the division series. Then you have the travel days. When you have those, you're able to, A, reset your rotation. as you need. That's why you only need three starters in the five-game series. And you're also able to utilize your bullpen guys and not feel like, okay, I'm asking this guy to throw four days in a row. You might have to ask him to throw four out of five days. That happens in the postseason. And as it happens, that's usually pretty important. That could be required. And I think the Braves, with Rice Iglesias, with A.J. Minter, uh, with Pierce Johnson, who has come over and thrown great, with Joe Jimenez, who I think has had a really good year, they have the makings of a group that can handle some leverage situations. But they're going to need some other guys to step up and step in to those. I mean, Brad Hand's a veteran reliever. He looked great against the Phillies. He looked terrible against the Marlins over the course of the weekend, but hey, that's the balance of being a reliever. Some days, it ain't going to be your day, but the Braves they can't really afford too many of those in the postseason. This offense can cover for a lot, but you know, am I concerned about this bullpen? If I had a concern level, you know, one through ten, I'd put it at about, I don't know, a three or a four, because you just never know. That's the unpredictability of baseball. That's batted ball luck. That's Right, make a mistake, hang a pitch, lead off walk, wild pitch, who knows, in the postseason, as they say, that kind of stuff's a rally. But I'm not overly concerned with this group. But getting to the leverage relievers, that's going to be the job of this rotation. Will this rotation be healthy? Because if it is, and you got Max Fried and Spencer Strider and Charlie Morton and then Bryce Elder once you get into the seven-game series format, I think you got all the makings there. And I'm not leaving out Kyle Wright. I'm just interested also in seeing – what do the next couple of starts for Kyle Wright look like? And will he show you enough in a limited amount of time to where you feel more comfortable with him than you do with Bryce Elder? Because I think if you carry Wright on the rota- excuse me, on the uh, roster for the postseason, you're going to have to carry Elder too as a piggyback option to be able to cover innings just in case, like what we saw in Philly last this past week when Kyle came off the injured list, just in case that happens again. Because I don't think you're going to be you know, just reaching down to the minor leagues and saying, hey, Jackson Stevens, you've been gone all year. Come on up, cover these three innings. You're going to want guys that have kind of been through this war with you. Not to say that maybe they won't find value somewhere that I'm not seeing it, but Kyle Wright in 2021 threw some very important innings out of the bullpen for the Braves, including in the World Series. And that's no small thing to have that kind of experience. So I think somewhere in this picture, Kyle Wright's going to fit. Will it be in a starting role or a relieving role? The Braves have a couple of weeks to find out how exactly they want to approach that. And, of course, they want to see how healthy and how good Kyle Wright can look. Because I know that first inning and, and that start against Philadelphia, it felt like he was up out of necessity because they'd kind of painted themselves in a corner by moving some pieces around the board and optioning some guys up and down from the minors. You know, They're going to have the time now to really sort out who exactly they want to put in those roles, and I would imagine they're going to do that. And speaking of which, Jesse Chavez is finally on the road back. He has some encouraging results down in Gwinnett. A couple of scoreless innings, including striking out the side day before yesterday. Uh, he was having his best season of his big league career, I think. He had a chance to maybe sneak into the All-Star game. I, I talked with him about that. Talked a little bit with you know a couple of other Braves relievers about how badly they wanted to see that and how much it has stung for the whole group to have Jesse out for so long and how excited they are to potentially have him back. Maybe by the time the you know, the Braves are making some decisions. Jesse Chavez will work his way in there. The biggest thing for him, you heard him on the show a couple of weeks ago, he just had to kind of work through all of the other damage to his leg, including, I think, a little bit of nerve inflammation or nerve damage uh, to his calf. 
which was as big a problem as once they found out it was a microfracture in there. But the good news is we've covered all of that, and now he is back on a mound in the minor leagues and hopefully working his way back to Atlanta. And you have to factor in, again, with Kyle Wright and also with Jesse Chavez, it would look like to me, I, I, I could be wrong here, but Kyle McHugh and Dylan Lee are out of your plans. They're on the injured list. I would not imagine they're likely to pitch again this year. I would have to see what the scenario would be to bring them in, but that would kind of point to you're going to need some guys to step back in here and cover some of those innings. I think Michael Tonkin, who's had a couple of rough ones this month, which, again, that's kind of been the story for the Braves' bullpen, even coming into uh, Saturday's game in which they really got lit up. 5.17 ERA, 24th in Major League Baseball for the month of September, so about a two-week sample. 28th in terms of wins above replacement. They're a negative group, negative 0.3, probably down to about 0.5 after this uh, Saturday afternoon meltdown. 54 innings, though. That's the 12th most that have been thrown by any bullpen in September. So they've had to cover a lot of innings, and they've also given up a lot of runs. So how is all this going to play out? We're going to kind of find out as it goes. And also worth uh, talking about as they wrap up on the show here, you know, the Braves offense has been incredible all season long. Chance to set some records. Lots of home runs, all of those things, tons of runs scored. Brace catchers, though, struggling mightily at the plate. Last six weeks, Sean Murphy and Travis Darno batting 189 with a 600 OPS, over 185 plate appearances. That's the 25th lowest batting average by a catching position in Major League Baseball since the 1st of August. So they're going to want to maybe get that thing corrected over the final couple of weeks. But the thing about those guys is they'll probably come around because they've done it before. But the other important prerequisites of their job they're very important to this club, and they handle this pitching staff extremely well. So they've got other things to do besides just hit. The Braves have quite a few lineup, uh, guys in the lineup that can hit, and that is, uh, in and of itself, the great strength of this club. Uh, coming up for the Braves this week, they get a Philadelphia Phillies series at home. they got three games there, then a four-game set against the Washington Nationals is waiting. That'll start on Thursday. So uh, lots of fun ahead for the Braves as they just look to, A, stay healthy, and, B, keep an eye on the playoffs, get themselves ready and rolling for October. I want to thank Chris Willis of Battery Power for stopping by to join the show a little bit earlier. Talk some Braves with me and Anthony Castrovens of MLB.com. Also stop by and talk to NL Wildcard and all kinds of other fun stuff. Appreciate those guys. I appreciate Dom Shirosky, my producer as always, keeping me on the rails here on From the Diamond. We'll be back next Saturday. If you missed anything on the show or just want to stay connected, make sure you get From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast or the Odyssey app. I'll be back at you next Saturday. This is Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.